Well, this morning, we're going to continue our series on encounters with Jesus. Now, this is only week two. In fact, it's only week three that I have been with y'all. It feels longer uh, than for me. I hope it hasn't felt that long for you, but it feels like we've been together for a while. Uh, and I've decided to love you because love is a decision based on commitment. So have I told you I loved you lately? So I just told you I love you. So we're going to have a good time this morning as we continue these encounters. Now, Jesus calls us to himself but he doesn't call us to keep us to himself. He calls us to use our lives for his glory. And, you know, sometimes we get stuck there. We get stuck in the call, and we say, well, I prayed a prayer, I've joined a church, or whatever, and we kind of get stuck there. But Jesus wants so much more of your life than just to have you stuck there. In fact, Jesus has a process. Let me tell you what his system is. He always does this, come and see. Come and see. He wants you to come and see him. Now, next Sunday... Uh, we're doing a party with a purpose afterwards, a hamburger, hot dog, you know, blessed hamburger, holy hot dog, whatever. We're going we're gonna to serve that next Sunday after church, and that's not so you'll have something for lunch. It's so you'll have an invitation to invite people to come and see, come and see. Sometimes people come to Jesus best on the arm of a trusted friend, and sometimes people come to Jesus best with a hot dog in their hand. So we're going to leverage this event for King Jesus. It's going to be stuff for kids, and this is your opportunity to make the ask. Now, I want to say this. I'll chase a little rabbit real quick because it's raining. Don't care how long I go, right? Um, you know, we're having an Easter egg hunt, and some people go, oh, Easter eggs, oh, it's on the devil. Okay, that's really creepy. Sorry about that. Um, but here's the deal about Easter eggs. The reason we get, collect or hide Easter eggs is because not extra biblical material says that mother, the mother of Jesus, Mary, and the other Marys and the other women had hard-boiled eggs at the cross. That was their form of portable nutrition. You go to any third-world country today, and people will have hard-boiled eggs and they'll carry with them as their lunch, source of protein. They had hard-boiled eggs at the cross. And here's the rest of this tradition that the early church then started dyeing those eggs red to symbolize the death of Jesus Christ and to remember that as a memorial meal. I don't know how much that's true, but it sounds pretty good. It sounds better than some rabbit hopping around hiding eggs, doesn't it? And so we're going to do that. So some people put, oh, First Baptist Wimberley, all oh, their heathens are hiding eggs. Oh, I said, no, 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 no. You tell them that story, and they'll sit there with their mouths open. Okay, y'all ready? Yeah, because that's an excellent example of... You get the other one? example? Yeah, all right. You expected more from me than that. Okay, all right. Just yoking around this morning, okay. <laughs> Have you ever received an assignment that you just did not want to do or that it seemed too hard for you to do? Have you ever done that? And that you, you, you found yourself in a situation that you were assigned something and you just didn't want to do it? Well, when I was in seminary in New Orleans, that, uh, I had a friend of mine, his name was Mitch, and Mitch was Jewish before he came to Christ. And he came to Christ, he came all the way to Christ. And he was one of those crazy Christians. I mean, crazy Christians. And he invited me one, one evening. He said, hey, let's go down the street to the French Quarter, down to Bourbon Street, and let's share our faith. Let's street witness. And I'm going, I won't do that. You know, because them people are crazy down there in French Quarter, and, you know, you never know what you're going to get. And, and I've always discovered it a waste of time to witness to drunks because they don't remember what you told them. Just saying. And um, so Mitch finally talked me into it. I went down there with you talk about feeling awkward, just complete awkward. I'm standing there, and, 
course, you know, at seminary, they did this, you know, all this training on how to share a faith. And we, I knew how to do it. But I always kind of want to build a relationship with people than just sort of grab at them and cold call them. I, it's just me. I'd rather get to know you and then, then introduce you to Jesus. That's just kind of the way I am because I think relationships make life rich. And anyway, Mitch is down there. He's talking to these two drunk guys. And I'm standing there just kind of got my hands in my pocket looking around going, oh, I'm really uncomfortable. And I hear this voice that said, hey, you. And I look around. I don't see anybody. So I thought I was having this Samuel moment, you know, the voice of the Lord. Hey, you. I look around, and finally, I feel somebody pulling at me, and I look down, and this little guy, this little short guy, about three feet tall, and he was working as a hawker uh, at a bar, calling people to come in and see. So he was using his unusual statue as an attraction to get people to come in there and spend their money, and as my mother would call it, riotous living. So he said, what are you doing down here? That's what he said to me. What are you doing down here? He said, man, you look so out of place. You don't belong down here. I said, well, yeah, you're kind of right. And he said, so you're a preacher? I said, well, you know, in training. And we started a conversation, and he started telling me his story, and he was just really good at his job, really outgoing, really a great personality, really broken. I, he told me he had a relationship with Jesus, but, man, it's like a lot of us, you know, he, he just kind of, like, backslidden, and he just was really discouraged and really kind of found himself in a place he didn't want to be and doing things he didn't want to do. And I talked with him and, and had a great conversation with him and I gave him my Bible, told him I'd pray for him, and, and um, you know, and, and, and I left. I didn't see him again. I just wondered. Was my divine appointment to go and just encourage this guy that never see him again? And in my, un, in my uncomfortable state, was God orchestrating something that was very intentional for his glory? And was he shaping my heart and my life to have my eyes fixed on him instead of the circumstances I find myself in? Well, this morning, we're going to continue this encounter with Jesus we're going to see this, that Jesus is not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your obedience. In fact, if you're, if you're a note taker, you, I, I got you a fill of the blank thing going on the back of the bulletin, so that may help you um, kind of stay up with me. But um, God will not use you. I want you to write this down. God will not use you in your comfort zone, but he will comfort you when you choose to live all for him. You see, when we're comfortable, this is what happens. You sit, sour, soak, and stink. But when you're used by God, you're fresh, you're alive. And he wants to give you an assignment that changes who you are. So today in the book of Luke, we're going to take a look at Luke about this assignment from God, and hopefully we'll walk out of here going, let's go. Let's go. Instead of Let's sit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're going to say to us in your word, and I pray that you will speak through me this morning. That will not be my words or thoughts, but, Father, your truth that leads us to understand who you are and what you want to do in, for, and through us. And I thank you for how faithful you are, and I thank you that you will speak. These people do not need to hear from me. My words are nonsense and noise. Your words are life and peace. Thank you for being so good. And thank you for not letting us get caught up in a tornado this morning. 
And we pray this in your son's strong name, amen. As I mentioned that, I, I wanna throw out two prayer requests for you. Let's, uh, let's all continue to pray for First Baptist New Braunfels as they've experienced this tragic loss of 13 people uh, in, the, in the van accident. Also, let's pray for the young man driving the truck. Uh, 20 years old, I know his life has completely changed forever. And let's just pray the Lord will show himself kind and good to this young man. We should, as believers, believe that everything God is working for his glory, and regardless of these circumstances, the tragedy of this event, let's pray for that young man. Maybe this young man will come to Christ if he's not already with Christ. Another thing I ask you to pray for is that I talked to a pastor yesterday in Virginia Beach, Virginia, actually Chesapeake, right outside Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Virginia. Their church building was destroyed by a tornado. Uh, Friday night. And so I thought about him this morning. And so I was like, okay, could, could this be us? But, uh, but pray for that church too. It's called Real Life Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. And I talked to him yesterday and he absolutely had no idea what they were going to do. No idea. But uh, the Lord has an idea. And as we talked and, and kind of helped him. Uh, also, some of you have asked, what in the world does Pastor Scott do all week? I mean, he comes up here and he aggravates us on the weekends, but what does he do other than that? And um, I'm a part of a movement of church revitalization, church renewal, helping healthy pastors and healthy, healthy churches all over the United States and out in the world, in Africa. In fact, there's opportunities brewing right now in Cuba and in Costa Rica and in Malawi and Nigeria, uh, countries in Africa. So if you're interested in any of those things, you can surely talk to me uh, about that. And I'm also involved, right now I'm writing a book project. Uh, I'm gonna preach the series to you guys. I'm uh, going to start right after, uh, right after Easter. I'm doing a series called Crazy Love. It's not Francis Chan. It's Pastor Scott. And it's all about relationships. So it's going to be uh, not about marriage in particular, but relationships in particular. And then after that, we're starting this series called The Pursuit, which I'm also writing a study guide to go with. So you guys get to be my guinea pigs. All right? And it's on the life of David. I think it's going to be a, a hoot. I am so excited. I've gotten the 15 chapters written out. And, and so it's going to be cool. Anyway. I digress. Let's get back to the assignment. Now, as we get into this, this look at Luke, are you guys excited about any of that at all? Okay, that's five of you. That's exactly one hand clap. That's awesome, okay? <laughs> you guys are actually glad you didn't die in the tornado this morning. All right. So as we get into the assignment, I want to walk you through this passage because in Luke 9, really, Jesus flips the, the scales on these guys. You know, he calls them it says in Mark, he called 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach, teach, and cast out demons. Now in Luke, we get a really a deeper look at what Jesus was up to. So let me, let me read this to you, but here's the first thing I want you to think through, and here's your first blank. When Jesus gives you an assignment, he gives you his authority. He gives you his authority. Now looking at that, I should have said two things. He gives you his power and his authority. His power and his authority. In other words, Jesus says, I want to give you the right to do what you're supposed to do, and I'm going to give you the power to do what you're supposed to do. I got the power, okay? I didn't do that in the first service because I thought I'd scare him to death. But, but, but that's, that's what he does, and that was the perfect pitch, Jonathan, by the way, for that song, just letting you know. If you ever need a disco singer, okay, I'm your huckleberry. All right. One day, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority. Now, listen to what he said to do. To cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. How many's all? All's all, y'all. 
to cast out all demons. Now, how excited would you be for that assignment? I'm good, thanks, Jesus. I'll wait here in the car, and Jesus, you go, you know, you deal with those demons. I really don't want to mess with no demons. But you know what I've discovered here in Wimberley? There's a lot of demonic activity here. A lot of new age stuff, a lot of creepy stuff, a lot of addiction. Did you know in the list of the fruits of the flesh, uh, it, there's a word that says we translate it witchcraft. Do you know in Greek that's where you get the word for pharmaceuticals? Hmm. So maybe addictions has a root in demonology? Just saying. Gave the authority to cast out and the power to cast out and heal all diseases. Let me go on. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So as you look at that, he called them. And there's nothing that defines your life like the call of God. Nothing defines your life like the call of God. When I was seven, I remember the first call that Jesus placed in my life, and that was the call to come to him, to give my life to him. And I was seven. Now, I was a, a, a really a brilliant, systematic theologian at seven. No, I was a little brat, seven years old. I got a whipping every Sunday because I couldn't behave in church. That's why I thank God for children's ministries today that kids don't have to get a whooping, have to sit here and listen to me. They could go and, and, and have Melinda encourage them and build them up according to their age appropriateness. It's awesome what happens in our children's ministry. I was before all that. They thought it was some kind of right or character flaw to sit still in church. I was a seven-year-old. And, you know, I needed Jesus, and he saved me. My daddy actually led me to the Lord, which is pretty awesome. But then I remember a call when I was 15. I was sitting in my, my bedroom, fair faucet on the wall and my surfboard in the corner. <laughs> just saying. And um, fair faucet is no longer on my wall, just so you know, okay. <laughs> but I, God called me to preach, and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I was reading in Romans Chapter 10, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel peace. I'm 15. I'm playing baseball and football and, and surfing, and I'm not going to be no daggum preacher. But then at 21, he, he reminds me, and, and I step into ministry, music ministry, and at 33, he reminds me. The call was to preach, and we started our first church. Tara and I did. When I told Tara that God had called me to be a pastor, she said, you're not spiritual enough to be a pastor. But Jonathan, I was spiritual enough to be a music guy, just so you know, lower, a lower bar. Uh, you know, and, and I started doing a study called Experiencing God with Henry Blackaby and just really changed the way I think. And there's nothing that defines your life like the call of God. Now, what I've discovered is that God will call you to himself, but then he will assign you to many different things as you obey him. So the assignment may be to Canada. Assignment may be to Africa, to Cuba, to Costa Rica, to Wimberley. What? You see, it's not the assignment that defines you. It's the call. And Jesus called 12 that they might be with him. And he called them together to assign them. Now, church, let me say this, what this means to you. That when we gather together, it's not a service. You're not doing Jesus a favor by showing up. It's a place for the assignment. It's a place for the encouragement. It's a place that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. In fact, in my vernacular, I quit calling these things church services. I call them the gatherings. 
because we gather together that we might be inspired and informed and transformed and be knitted together to be the hope of the world. What do you think about that? That's dangerous. But there's nothing to find your life like the call of God. You know, Jesus has a process. Come and see. Come see. Come follow. Come serve. Come and die. Live a life of surrender. So next week is a come and see event. We're going to invite people to come and see. And then we're going to invite them back after Easter. Come and follow. And then get them involved in ministry. Come and serve. So finally, we're saying, Jesus, I'm yours. A life of surrender. And I'm going to do the good in the world that needs doing. I'm going to share the love that needs shared. I'm going to tell people about Jesus everywhere. I'm going to live out the great commandment and the great commission. I'm going to love God and love people and, and preach to God. I'm going to, I'm going to be that person because I've been called by God to be assigned by God. You see, the call is not the end. <laughs> it's just the beginning. Just the beginning. Notice they had three assignments. Cast out demons, heal the sick, and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. I, I love to say this, and I think you'll hear me say it often, that uh, Jesus always had a holistic ministry. Holistic. He fed people that were hungry. He healed people that were sick. And he told them about the kingdom of God. And he preached the gospel. So church, I think we should pretty much do the same thing. Feed people who are hungry. Care for people that are sick. Pray for them. Expect God to heal them. And preach the gospel. But he also said something that was, he said, cast out all demons. Now, kind of like in, in, in our part of the world, we don't really deal with a lot of like overt demons, but I've been to places where they do. I've been to Haiti where you hear, you see people that are literally possessed with demons through the worship of voodoo. I've been to Bali, Indonesia, where they actually invoke their de demons to come down and live among them. I've been to Malaysia, to Penang, and watched the Taipusan uh, celebration of Hinduism, where they literally pierce themselves through their lips. There was a guy who had a spear stuck all the way through his face and hooks in his body, carrying the sacrifice of milk to, to appease his God, and they're asking the demons to come down to him. I've been to places where demons are present, and we are called by God to run to those dark places with the light of Jesus. We're called to move into the mess, not move into comfort. I think somehow, church, we've forgotten about that. Last, not last week, but the week, last week I was in Tucson. The week before I was in California. And in California, we're in a discussion with pastors because we're trying to lead this movement for church revitalization, healthy pastors and healthy churches. And the statistics are coming to us. 95% of the churches in North America are plateaued or declining. That's not acceptable. Would you agree with that? That's not acceptable. And so we have to run to the darkness. And we say, well, we just need to plant new churches. <laughs> no, we, we do need to plant new churches. 
What about the churches that exist? Don't you think they need to be revitalized? Okay, that's two of you. That's really exciting. Don't you think they need to be revitalized? Yeah. And rediscover what God has asked us to be? To cast out the demons? You see, there's nothing to find your life like the call of God. And nothing to find you that you're all for Jesus like somebody runs into the mess. Clean it up. Clean it up. Preach the gospel, mighty to save. Heal the sick. There's nothing like a healer. Now, I grew up Baptist. I am a Baptist. If I wasn't a Baptist, I'd be ashamed. That's just the way it is. I've been Baptist in my family for forever. And um, um, this healing stuff kind of freaks me out. It just does because, I, you know, I get pictures of people falling out in the road and, and all this other kind of abuse of healing. And when I was in Canada, part of the church, the Christian Missionary Alliance Church, they said, Pastor Scott, we want to have a healing service. I'm going, okay, that's creepy. Uh, I want to do that. Uh, and they said, no, 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 it's not your weird American stuff. This is Bible stuff. I said, okay. He said, we're just going to pray for people that need healing. And we're going to have the elders and you and the other pastors and because you know, we're elders too. He said, oh, we'll just go pray for people. And I said, all right, we'll, we'll do that. So I preached about how Jesus is mighty to save, mighty to heal, and gave this opportunity for people to be prayed for that need to be healed and, you know, relationally or emotionally or physically. And I expect anybody to come. Hundreds of people came. I mean, it just ruined our schedule. <laughs> you, know, you ain't getting to lunch. I mean, people are getting you're prayed for. And, and I'm watching as God is healing people. Not the creepy, you know, television evangelist kind of stuff. The biblical, not about the person who's praying, but about the King Jesus who's healing. Our God is a healer. Our God's a healer. And I told that story, and I told it in the first service, and I was a little bit scared. And I am the interim, you know. Maybe it was my last Sunday. And... A lady came up to me, and she told me a story about her aunt who'd been healed like this. I can tell you all a bunch of stories. It's not about the story. It's about Jesus. If you're sick, he'll heal you. If you're, if you're discouraged, he'll encourage you. If you're broken, man, he loves to put the broken back together. Loves that. And that's the assignment. We get to be the ones who introduce people to King Jesus. He's got it. I want to ask you a question. And I want you to kind of hold it in your heart. Maybe write it down. What would you do for Jesus if you knew it was him who asked? I'll say it again. What would you do for Jesus if you knew it was him who asked? Now, some of you automatically say, well, I'd do anything. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Would you? Would you? Does he have your yes before he asks? Would you give up your preference and your comfort? your resources. 
What would you do? I'm going to circle back around to that in a minute. Jesus sent them out and he gave them nothing but. Let me read. Luke 9, 3 and 5. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take anything. Now he got specific. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? At least I got to carry on. Nothing. Don't take anything with you. Just go. And wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if the town refuses to welcome you, shake the dust from your feet and leave it to show them that you have abandoned these people to their fate. In other words, if they don't accept you, don't waste your time. Love everybody, but move with the movers. Love everybody, but move with the movers. Because anytime you're saying yes to Jesus, there's going to be resistance. I'll say more about that in a second. He gave them nothing but himself. Jesus was saying to them and saying to us that I am enough. Jesus was their strategy. Jesus was their model. Jesus was their system. They didn't need a building. They had Jesus. They didn't need a Christian bookstore. They had Jesus. They had enough. And one thing I've discovered in these years of following Jesus, that if God has a plan, an assignment, God is going to pay for it. God's will is God's bill. The assignment. And all assignments are provisioned by God. Listen to what Matthew says. Matthew gives us another look at the same event. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person to stay in his home until you leave town. In other words, Matthew kind of gave this a little more detail than Luke did. He said, Jesus said, there's folks who are going to receive you. Look for that person of peace. When you go into town, look for somebody who says, hey, come stay with me. Hey, eat this. Sleep here. Man, you, you need to wash some clothes. Let me give you a change of clothes. You know, I'm going to provide for you. And Jesus says, look for this person of peace. You know, so in every assignment, God always leverages, get this, relationships. Now, I want you to look around you at the people around you right now. Just kind of look around, turn your head, look around. I know you've been kind of sneaking a look around, but take a look around now. Yeah, look around. Every person in this room is here intentionally. God has brought them together intentionally. And it's all for his glory. You're not here by mistake or accident. You're here that God may leverage the relationships and you are to be a person of peace to someone and someone is to be a person of peace to you. There's a passage of Scripture, Jeremiah, about a guy named Ebed-Melech. Ebed-Melech was a guy who rescued Jeremiah out of the, a, a dried-up well. Jeremiah didn't even know him, but Ebed-Melech knew of Jeremiah, and he went and rescued him. God has an Ebed-Melech for you, and he has you to be an Ebed-Melech for someone. Look around. Take your eyes off yourself and off your circumstances and look around. God has assigned you to be a rescuer. That's pretty powerful. So I want to ask you another question. Do you believe Jesus is enough? That's one person. 
Will we live that way? That Jesus is enough. Tara and I have been in places in our lives where we had nothing left but Jesus. Nothing. We went through a situation in, in Tallahassee, Florida, where banks took everything we owned, including our home. And Jesus is enough, y'all. He's enough. And he's the rewarder, and he's the sustainer, and he's the provider because he is enough. I don't care what circumstances you find yourself in, what situation you're in right now, what situation this church is, Jesus is enough. And when you live all for Jesus, he shows you that he is enough. I feel like saying what one preacher said one time, I'm not just preaching now, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> He's enough. He's enough. You know, I, I've looked at you guys, First Wimberley. I've studied you. I've traced your movement. Looked at your history. You know, you started in the late 1800s when people were just settling into Texas. There's a group of folks that settled in here and you were called a missionary Baptist church at that time. And you changed your name and you moved locations. In fact, you moved a few times. And now you found yourself in this spot. And this building is not the church. It's the place where the church gathers, right? Just a building. Just a building. It's not a sacred place until you show up. Because we are the temple of Jesus. You were once a bold movement. A pioneer spirit unwilling that people in the Wimberley Valley would spend an eternity without Christ. Unwilling for that. Risking and challenging and giving and leveraging and spreading the gospel. You once were a bold movement. I think you still are. I think you still could be. Because God's not done with this valley. If you looked around, the world is coming to Wimberley. Well, they're coming to Dripping Springs first, but they're coming to Wimberley. <laughs> it's on 290. You've got to snake your way down in here to get to here, okay? But it's coming. And God places his people in the place for his maximum use as he assigns them. Hmm. David Livingston, the great explorer, missionary of Africa, I love Livingston. I've been to the land of Livingston in Africa. I've traced the steps. And um, Livingston prayed this prayer. Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden upon my back, only sustain me. And sever any tie but the tie that binds me to yourself. When Livingston was 59 years old, on his birthday, he wrote in his journal, my God, my Lord and my God, I long to serve you. And he was on an expedition to the deepest part of Africa. And the reason he was going into Africa, he wanted to create a map because he said, at the end of the, explore, the exploration becomes the expansion of the gospel. He was going to map Africa and so missionaries could follow him to preach the gospel. It was said of Livingston, he would sit at night and look upon a hill and look at the, the thousands of campfires of villages and weep over the people who didn't know Christ. When Livingston died, he was on his furthest journey into the heart of Africa. 
and his, his, his uh, handler, he was with a, a, a chief, a, a chieftain, an African chieftain, and he had a, a handler who was kind of helping Livingston. And uh, Af- by the way, Africa is a great place for white people to die. It just is. I, I've been there. You can die in Africa really easy because there's all kinds of stuff that wants to kill you in Africa. Livingston was there, and his, his handler noticed he wasn't doing well, and in the morning they found him dead on his knees in prayer. He had died in prayer. So the chieftain cut out his heart, buried it in Africa, dried his body in the sun, affixed it to a pole, and walked nine months to Balma, where his body was shipped back to England and buried in Westminster Abbey as a British hero. Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden upon my back, only sustain me. Sever any tie but the tie that binds me to yourself. And we've grown comfortable in our Christianity. And that's not what Jesus has for us. We're a bold movement. C.S. Lewis says this, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I think the devil distracts us from our assignment. So what do these guys do? They obey. Now, if Luke was a Texan, he would have said, giddy up. They did it. They went out. They went out. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. What an experience. But let me say this. What Jesus did was give them, this was spring training. This was the scrimmage. This was the warm-up. This was getting them ready for the big assignment, and the big assignment was going to all the world to preach the gospel. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This little experiment here, this little assignment, was the small case study to get them ready for the next big thing. I want to tell you something, y'all. This is how God works. He's using your right now to prepare, prepare you for God's glorious next for you. And he will keep working in the small and the insignificant and the ordinary. And he'll keep assigning you because he's got the extraordinary waiting for you. And when you step in, you say, okay, Jesus, I'm yours. I don't want to live a life of commonality or ordinary, an ordinary life. I want to live all for you. He says, let's go. He warms you up. And they gained trust and it built confidence. And they knew when the Holy Spirit came to dwell upon them, they knew it's time to change the world. And in 300 years, they took the gospel to every civilization on the planet. None of these apostles lived to see it, but they all knew it would be. And somehow I think they saw it. They saw it from a great seat. And glory. Wow. And every movement 
As God builds trust and builds expectation and builds endurance, you can expect adversity. These guys had it. Every one of the disciples was martyred except for John. And John, get this, according to Fox's book of martyrs, John was boiled in oil and did not die and then thrown on the island of Patmos. And there he had his revelation. That might explain a little bit of the revelation. What? I love what Thomas said, you know, doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rap. But Jesus was saying, hey, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem. And all the disciples said, no, no, you can't go to Jerusalem. You can't go to Jerusalem. You know, last time you were there, you kill him. We're going to kill you. And Thomas said, hey, if he's going, let's go. We'll but die. And on a recent trip to India, I met a pastor who's an Indian pastor who was one to Christ through the, the influence of the apostle Thomas in India. You see, 100 years from now, nobody's going to remember that you lived, but will they remember Jesus because you lived? It's the assignment. You can expect adversity. No one feels it like the leader. No one feels the adversity, feels the urgency like the leader. You're going to feel it in your heart. Because Satan's going to whisper to you, ha, who do you think you are? You're a train wreck. You know, the only two things in, in this world that remind you of your past is Satan and your extended family. Did you, you know that? Yeah. I don't go to high school reunions because I don't want to be reminded what I once was. I, I want to know who I am in Christ. Hmm. You experience adversity from other believers, which is so sad. Every time I see a church experiencing revitalization, there's people with inside the church that create the adversity. It's so sad. And there's nothing sadder to me than a selfish, divisive Christian. So you love everybody and you move with the movers. Hmm. Satan. I'm going to use the theological word for Satan. Hope you guys understand it. Satan is a punk. He's a punk. If he can't get you, he's going to get to your family. If he can't get to your family, he's going to get to your friends. If he can't get to your friends, he's got some old folks he gets to all the time and he uses them. Don't be those folks. If you're a parent of an adult child, let me say to this, you're only as happy as your most miserable child. And what Satan will do is he'll get after your adult children to make you feel worthless so you won't do anything. And you know what? He's a punk. And when he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. And man, these guys were used by God. <laughs> and he did this. Now, this is the last thing I'll quit. He did this to increase their courage. Now, this is something I've been, I've been kind of, for the last couple of weeks in my time with the Lord and talking to other leaders, I've discovered this. We need courage. We need courage. We need to learn how to suck it up, buttercup. 
We courage. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. We need to be courageous. And have a heart of courageous. Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. Lions ain't scared of nothing. He lives in my heart. No fear, Jesus is near. Let's go. And in this experience, they gained courage. Why did they give courage? Why did they gain courage? Listen to this. It's what Matthew says. And beware, for you'll be handed over to the courts and you'll be flogged with whips in the synagogue. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you were my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell, other, tell the rulers and other believers about me. You'll be all right. Let's go. Let's go. All for Jesus. The assignment. Let's go. Could God have put us here in this place at this time that we might be used by him? We are in a raging battle for the hearts, souls, and lives of men and women, boys and girls. It will require our best efforts, our brightest minds, our whole lives. We are called to join God in the depopulation of hell. Let's go. I saw my little friend about three years after in New Orleans. I didn't see him in person. I saw him on the big screen. He was in a Clint Eastwood movie. And I wondered about him. What's going on with his life? And I wonder one day when I stand in glory, will I see him there? And he'll laugh and he'll say, you don't look out of place here. Welcome home. But will I be faithful to the assignment that God has for me? I'm going to conclude this by saying this. There's some of you in this room, you need to give your life to Jesus because you don't belong to him. You've been going to church and good on you. But it's time for you not to just go to church. It's time for you to be in the church and you can't be in the church unless you give your life to Jesus. God's looking to adopt you into his family right now. The upside is Jesus will save you and you'll go to heaven, you'll live for him. The bad side is I'm gonna be your brother or your creepy uncle either way, but all for Jesus. In a moment, I'm gonna help you pray a prayer and receive Christ. There's some of you in this room, it's time to get serious. You've been thinking what you show up to is what matters. It's what shows up in you that matters. And you need to say, Jesus, I'm yours. And I tell you, I'm going to lead the way. I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. And I promise you, in these days that I'm your interim, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to lead you. Let's go. Let's go. But I'm saying to Jesus, I'm yours. But I think there's one other prayer. And that's for us. That this church says, Jesus, we are yours.
and to live to make him famous. All for Jesus.